Well, if you missed last week, we launched into a new sermon series through the book of Micah. Book of Micah, not a book that you often go to, but if you missed last week, we, we started a discussion about why it is that God sometimes has to warn us and have doom and gloom kind of prophecies in the Bible, and it, we, we realized it's because he loves us. Because he cares for us, he, he loves us too much to keep us the way we are. He sees how our sin affects us, he sees how it affects others, and he warns us. And so we we launched into Micah 1, which dealt primarily with the sins of the people against God, their unfaithfulness to him. But today as we get into chapter 2, we see that it's mostly the sin against other people, which of course is still a sin against God. But if you're not right with God, you're not going to be right with other people. And you'll remember the two tables of the Ten Commandments. Those first four commandments deal with how we love God, and the last six deal with our response, how we love other people. So Micah chapter 2, I just invite you to open up your Bible there. And we're going to see the corruption of the people back then. And I think we'll kind of be reminded of corruption that exists in our world right now. Micah Chapter 2. Micah's kind of a, a tricky book to find. I always know that if I can find Daniel, well, first of all, if you can find the book of Psalms, that's like in the middle of your Bible. Just open up in the middle, you're probably in the book of Psalms. You head to the right, keep going past Isaiah, that's a big one, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Then you get to Daniel, that's kind of an anchor for me because then we start into the minor prophets. And they're minor not because they're small. Uh, or that was their career, it's not because they're small in importance, but they're small in size. Past Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, and then you get to the book of Micah. And we can sum up Micah chapter 2 with four words. Four words. First word is defiance, and then disaster, followed by denial and deliverance. Defiance, Disaster, denial, and deliverance. Micah chapter 2, verse 1. Woe to those who devise iniquity. Woe to those who work out evil. Hebrew word there is ra on their beds. Woe to those who are just laying there in their bed and they're thinking, what sort of scheme can I come up with? What trouble can I cause? What mischief? What can I get out of life uh, through any means? Any means. At morning light, they practice it because it's in the power of their hand. This is talking about people who have an evil, corrupt heart. They can't wait to sin. they're, They're so excited to go after their sins that they're planning it while they're laying there in bed. You know, sin itself is bad, but premeditated sin is even worse. Here they're laying in their bed, a a sign that God is merciful. He hasn't struck them down. I mean, you think about all the times that you've sinned knowingly, willfully. God could have just zapped us. But God is merciful even in allowing freedom of choice 
even for those who do wrong. Later this year, we're going we're gonna to do a whole sermon series on the problem of suffering and evil. But here we see God values freedom so much that he even lets evildoers generally plot, plan, and practice their evil. Notice the time of day that they're carrying it out. It's not in the cover of darkness. It's in the morning. Morning time in the Bible was typically the time if a king was going to pronounce uh, justice for someone, various court trials. Remember Solomon had various cases brought to him. Those things happened in the morning. And if the king was going to bring justice and uh, a ruling in your favor, it was going to happen in the morning. The elders would gather at the gate of the city in the morning time. And it's at that time of day that these evil deeds are being done, suggesting possibly that this was even the leaders, corrupt leaders, who were plotting on their beds and bringing about evil in the morning. Why? text says because it's in the power of their hand to do it. Because they could get away with it. Right? I mean... If you're following the news at all, it it seems like over the last few years there's been person after person, influential persons, powerful people, it's happening right now, who have been getting away with bad things. Sexual misconduct, uh, financial schemes, this, that, and the other thing. And they were powerful and they could get away with it. I mean, I remember one powerful person, they, they were caught saying, when you're famous... You can do whatever you want to, to women. That's kind of the attitude here. And people from all backgrounds and all political spectrums are guilty of this. They're powerful. They have influence. They have money. And because they can do it, they do. Proverbs suggests a better way to use our power. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27, it says this, Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to act. So if you have power, Solomon in Proverbs says, use it for good. Use your power, your authority, your wealth to help other people out. Don't abuse the responsibility that has been given you. So we see here, Micah chapter 2, verse 1. We're here in defiance. People who are defying God's will, carrying out evil simply because they have the power to do it. Notice verse 2. What are they doing? Well, they're coveting fields and they're taking them by violence. This reminds me of the story of Ahab. Remember Ahab, King Ahab? He saw that field, that vineyard that belonged to Naboth and he said, I want it. He wanted it so bad, he coveted it so much that his wife saw him just sick with greed and envy and covetousness, and they devised the scheme, and Naboth ended up dead, and the vineyard went to Ahab. Those aren't just things that happened long ago. These are things that happen right now. It seems like the wealthy just get wealthier. The powerful just get more powerful. Middle class shrinking. We live in a society that is based upon, hey, if you can do it, if you can get away with it, go for it. 
Micah 2, verse 2, second half, also houses, seizing them. So they oppress a man in his house, a man as, and his inheritance. You know, in the Bible, your inheritance was something that was supposed to stay with you forever. Um, even when land was sold, uh, at the year of Jubilee, which happened once in a generation, essentially, the land was supposed to be given back. So it wasn't supposed to be one person joining property to the next and, and just expanding their empire. People were supposed to keep land in their families because that was how they survived and, ha- and made a living and, and had a place to call home. But here, the wealthy, the powerful, are taking it because they have the power in their hands in defiance to what God wanted. And then we get to verse 3. And what's that first word there in verse 3? My Bible says, therefore. God's saying, aha, this is what you've been doing, therefore. And now we get to the disaster part. Notice what it says there. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, against this family, I am devising disaster. You guys think that you're scheming on your beds? Well, listen, I am working on a plan. And it's not that God has to sit there and and plan something up. God is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-good, etc., etc. He's using the language here of humanity. But it's interesting. The word disaster there is the exact same word, ra, for evil. Ra can mean evil and it can mean disaster. So on one hand, the wicked are planning evil, God says, that's what you're going to do, I got to plan myself for disaster. And again, God isn't planning this because he hates people. God's doing it because he loves us. And he's trying to get us to repent. And the the punishment that he brings towards us is with redemptive goals. Because he knows the consequences of sin are far worse than anything that he might threaten or carry out against us. Second half of verse 3, from which this disaster, from which you cannot remove your necks. It's like there's a yoke that you're going to be chained up to and you won't be able to pull out of this one. Jesus in the New Testament, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Either we submit to the easy yoke or we get the yoke of iron, which cannot be removed. Nor shall you walk haughtily, for this is an evil time, a raw. This is a time of evil, a time of disaster. Defiance leads to disaster. Verse 4, in that day one shall take up a proverb against you. Proverb there in Hebrew is masal, and it's a type of a taunting song. Like, if you remember being on the playground as a kid, hearing this little tune, na, 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 na. I traveled to uh, um, another country one time, and I realized that tune is, goes across borders, and it is just, exists in other countries. Very similar taunting. Uh, <laughs> there are some things... Music can sometimes go across uh, languages and sometimes even just a a simple little tune. In that day, God's saying, there's going to be a proverb, a taunt song 
against you and lament with a bitter lamentation. It's interesting. We mentioned last week how Micah, in particular, likes to use these plays on words, and he's really good with uh, the way he writes his poetry. And in Hebrew, the, the phrase lament with a bitter lamentation is, is a type of alliteration. And I'll give a, a go at it here. In Hebrew, it's naha nehi nihya. It, it kind of has this cadence to it, this alliteration to it. And then the next phrase, we are utterly destroyed in, in my Bible, is an example of assonance where there are similar sounds there. Shadod neshadunu. We have these similar sounds. He's, he's capturing this language and using it to try to get across his point that God's not messing around. The blessings which are abused will one day be removed. And that's what God is saying. The lamentation will be saying this, We are utterly destroyed. He has changed the heritage of his people. How he has removed it from me. And to a turncoat, he has divided our fields. This land of promise that God has given to us, now it's been given to, to the wicked, to the, to the, to the non-God servers, whom God deemed more worthy than them to receive the land. Verse 5, Therefore you will have no one to determine boundaries by lot in the assembly of the Lord. Occasionally there was a need to redivide the territory. God's saying, even when this assembly takes place to redivide the territory, you won't have anything left. You know, I was talking with a friend about this, this passage this week. Um, and I didn't understand the reference, so I had to look it up. Um, some of you might get this. It's from Dragon Ball Z. And he was saying, this passage just reminds him of Frieza's arrogance versus Goku. And if you don't get it, don't worry about it. But if you get it, you may get it. Because in the end, this evil character, Frieza, um, is killed um, in, this, in this battle. Uh, and the, the evil that he intended upon others is brought back down upon himself. Uh, it's kind of like judo. You know, I don't know much about martial arts, but it's commonly said that judo takes the strength and the movement and the energy of your opponent, and it turns it against themselves. God redirects these evil desires and, and the, the evil workings of, of people, of us, and it brings consequences upon ourselves. Again, why? Because God loves us. He's trying to save us. He's trying to help us to wake up. And sometimes... The school of hard knocks is the only one we'll be willing to listen to. Defiance, disaster, and now we get to denial. Look at verse 6. Do not prattle, or some versions say prophesy, others might even say drip. The Hebrew word there is drip. And it's, to be honest, you'll, you'll see these next couple of verses different ways in different translations. It's Difficult to see exactly who's speaking, but here's the big idea. The people didn't want to hear the words of the prophets, the true prophets. And so they're saying, don't prophesy against us. We don't want to hear these things. No, 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 I'm not listening. 
Because they were in denial about what was going to happen to them. God would never allow these things to happen to us. Do not prattle, you say to those who prophesy. Same word, prattle, drip. So they shall not prophesy to you. They shall not return insult for insult. Verse 7, is this, uh, you who are named the house of Jacob, is the spirit of the Lord restricted? Are these his doings? Some have said, this is, does the Lord become impatient? The, 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 the wicked doers are saying, hey, God is a patient God. He's not, which God is a patient God. Have you benefited from, from God's patience in your life? Every single day. But with repeated defiance over and over and over again, God's saying disaster will come, but now they're saying, no, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Sometimes we feel like, well, hey, I'm not a bad person. I, I don't go out and kill people or steal. Good things will happen to me. I deserve good in my life. Forgetting that, that the sun rises and shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. God, in the, in the last half of verse 7, says, Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? Isn't there a blessing for those who are willing to follow my path? And then, now, this is apparently the voice of God in verse 8. Lately my people have risen up as an enemy. The people that I called out of the promised land, now they're as an enemy to me. You pull off the robe with the garment from those who trust you as they pass by like men returned from war. Stealing clothing off of the people's own backs. You know, it's amazing just how evil humanity can become. We talked several weeks ago about human trafficking and, and these kinds of things. Um, and, you know, just studying about some of our history here in America and, and how some of our mines were dug and railroads were built. Uh, the way that we enslaved people to accomplish our goals. The hard-heartedness that people can develop one day at a time. It's scary. God is saying, you've become an enemy to me. Verse 9, the women of my people you cast out from their pleasant homes. From their children you have taken away my glory forever. Casting the widows out of their homes, dispossessing them from their inheritance and their kids along with them. How did the people get there? Maybe you've asked yourself that question in your own life. How did I get to this point? One day at a time. One choice at a time. Defiance, disaster, denial. Look at verse 10. Arise and depart. For this is not your rest. Because it is defiled, it shall destroy. Yes, with utter destruction. If a man should walk in a false spirit and speak a lie, saying, I will prophesy to you of wine and drink, even he would be the prattler, the prophesier, the dripper of this people. Again, they're saying, God's saying, the kind of prophet that you want is the prophet who says, hey, let's have a big party. Everything's going to be okay. 
It's time to party tonight because nothing is going to happen. Think about in the story of Daniel, the book of Daniel. Belshazzar had that big party in his palace, and that very night, he lost his life. Our God is a merciful God. Our God is a loving God. But you don't want to live in defiance of him. Because he knows what's best for your life. He knows what's best for my life. And you might have a plan to change your ways in the future, but you might not get to that future. Nothing is guaranteed in life. I mean, just driving is dangerous. Have you seen some of the drivers? Of course you have. I was just driving down the road the other day, and I wasn't being careful enough, and my foot kind of missed the pedal, and... I was thankful I got back on it, but I had a little close call there for a second. We have to be so careful in life, not only physically, but how much more so spiritually. Blessings abused, as we said, are at last removed. The um, Bible commentator Fawcett, Andrew Fawcett, he said, those who would worship land in its acquisition would also learn the emptiness of land in its loss. When we pursue the things of the world outside of God, we're going to learn how empty those things are when we lose them. You've heard that phrase, what goes around comes around? God is almost saying that to the people here. Hey, you're devising plans on your bed? Well, I have a plan for you. You're taking away property from people? Well, guess what? You're going to lose your property. Again, this is a God of love. And we see again a glimmer of hope. Look at verse 12. After all these things, God, who loves us so much, <clears throat> didn't want to leave the people without hope. The final D of deliverance. Verse 12 I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel, those who are left over. It wasn't everybody that was doing bad. I will put them together like sheep of the fold, like the flock, a flock in the midst of pasture, so they shall make a loud noise because of so many people. God is saying, I'm going to be your shepherd. Yes, you are going to have to go through disaster. And truly, the Assyrian captivity happened um, 700 plus years before Christ. Later, the Babylonian captivity happened. But God said, I will call you. I will be your shepherd. That shepherd that, that Sherry talked about, who's... who's Love is being poured out into it, and so our cup runs over. I will gather you. There's hope beyond this difficulty. Sometimes in life, we've messed up for so long that, that there's nothing that can be done but to go through the circumstances that we have arranged for ourselves. But God says, I've got a glimmer of hope. There's a silver lining here, even here in this situation. Verse 13, the one who breaks open. In Hebrew, this is the breaker. The breaker will break open. It will come open, come up before them. They will break out, pass through the gate, and go out by it. 
their king will pass before them with the Lord at their head. There's three descriptions of God in this passage. The first one is the breaker, the king, and the Lord. As the breaker, now we would think that means, oh, God's going to smash us. And, and that could be. Uh, but notice how it's used here. It's the one who's breaking open the gate. Well, what's the gate? That's the gate of the city that they are exiled in. I'm going to get you out of that situation. I'm going to bring you home. I'm going to lead you home. Did God lead home people from their captivity? Did they come home from Babylon? Absolutely. God was there, the breaker, to break open those gates and to lead them home to safety, to an inheritance once again. You know, Sometimes in prophetic writings, we have what we call a progressive fulfillment. Because God is not just the breaker for the people back then. Jesus came uh, 700 some years later to be the breaker, to break the chains of, of darkness and bondage. And, you know, he quoted this passage from Isaiah saying, to set the captives free. He came to show us this physical act of love to show us his salvation. And someday he's going to break the bonds of death in this world, break the the kingdom of darkness as he leads us into his everlasting kingdom. Like a shepherd leading his sheep out of the sheep pen to better pasture, to greener pasture. I want God to be my breaker. How about you? I'm reminded as we close this morning Matthew 21, where Jesus says he's also the stone. This large stone. And he said, anyone who falls on this stone will be broken. Broken in pieces. In other words, if you surrender your life to God, it may break your old way of living. It may break your heart of stone in pieces, but I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. A new way of living. But he says, anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Our God is a breaker, one that wants to break the chains of bondage in our life, one that wants to break us out of the bad situations that we've created for ourselves and lead us into a new place, a better place, someday into his heavenly place. But for those who in defiance and denial ignore for too long, he will be a breaker as he brings about the natural consequences of our sin. And even as he has to do it, in the Bible it's called his strange act. Because God doesn't like to, it hurts him more than it hurts us. It breaks his heart. So today I want the Lord to be my breaker. To break down the walls of sin and selfishness in my life. To open up my heart to better and better things that he wants to do. I don't want to plug up my ears to what he wants to say to me. I want to be listening and following. How about you, friends? Let's pray. Dear Father, we are thankful that you're a God of love. Even when you have to deliver tough messages to us, it's always done in love. So Lord, let our hearts be broken by the things that break your heart. Help us to stop loving sin so much. 
Help our hearts to be broken as we think about Jesus, how you were broken on the cross for us so that we wouldn't have to be broken. We look forward to seeing you someday soon, Lord. And we can't wait to be led as sheep into the eternal green pastures of your everlasting kingdom. Lead us, guide us through our week. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a blessed and happy Sabbath. Thank you.